Welcome back to Mark's Madness. All right, we are back. We are doing it again. Doing uh, it again. Doing it again. David, any current events that you want to cover this week? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So, um, something people should be aware of because this shit never gets covered. Uh, it's not breaking news that the U.S. backed a coup in Haiti in 2004 and has basically imposed their will on Haiti, which continues for centuries to be punished for daring to have the first successful slave rebellion and freeing themselves uh, from horrible oppression. And so right now, Moise, who is the uh, president-ish guy, although he's beyond his constitutional elected period that ended February 7th, is uh, because he's being a dictator, we'll say he's not abdicating the uh, the presidency um, under the the guide of the the u.s in order to to push you know u.s policies um so you know again i mean imperialism monstrosity never starts uh i think it was also announced today that biden uh, dropped some bombs on syria because what's america without bombing syria why not i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't feel right it would it feel like you're missing yeah. a an obvious entry point there is is come on yeah and then of course you know uh the biden campaign that ran Hugely, other than the whole $2,000 checks that, that are never going to come on uh, no kids in cages. Um, of course, immediately putting kids in cages. I don't think that's breaking news for anybody. Uh, but no, remember, kids in cages. But- yeah, kids in cages is already a component. It, it's already only speaking of ICE when, you know, I mean, there are juvenile prisons and detention centers across the United States, not just from ICE. Uh, this, of course, includes Customs and Border Patrol, who have strategies specifically to push people out in the desert so they could be. And one thing we've talked about a long time, liberals have now come across the idea that, oh, my God, three percenters bad and fascist that we've known for a long time because they literally hunt immigrants like like their their animals in order to kill them in the desert for daring cross the border. Um, and custom border patrol, of course, works with lawmakers to get rid of to make laws where it's like illegal in terrorism if you leave bottles of water for people, you know, fleeing this in the desert. Um, and so this is a small component of a very large uh, genocidal project. Whether you're looking into the prison industrial complex or into the anti-immigration side of this. Uh, but the very cute kids in cages, you know, thing, of course, is now just overflow facilities. And they're the exact same centers Trump was using in 2019. Um, so, of yeah. course, there's that, too. And, and, and I just want to talk about how kids in cages was already soft language that already shrank the issue. So the fact that it's also getting dumped into overflow centers is just it's not shocking, but it's unbelievably frustrating. Well, what do you want them to do? They can't change the whole system overnight. I mean, it's not like they created this system back in <laughs> 2008 or whatever and then propagated it for the night. But come on, what do you want them to do? Give them a break. It's not, it's not like they took the small seedling of, of hellish monstrosity that was planted by Bush and the soil laid by Clinton and grew it into a fantastic tree of death under Obama. It, it just... it it's thrust upon them. They've got to find a small way to reform it someday. It's meanwhile, China, you know, having vocational schools is apparently concentration camps, but these, these aren't concentration camps because 
there's school classes for the kids now was the the latest thing I saw, which I yeah. doubt those classes even fucking happen. No, <laughs> so yeah, very depressing no, current events. But well. at least, at least, to my knowledge, the weather is normal and electricity is restored in Texas. So that's good news. God willing, God willing. That being said, this is Mark's Madness, and we read books. And David, unless you've got anything else, I'd like to start reading a book. Sounds good to me. Book reading. The state convention, when it met, by the way, we are reading on page 389 of Black Reconstruction in America by Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois. The state convention, when it met, had Negro members for the first time in history of the state. For the first time in the history of the state, I was about to say, there's a preposition this, this state there somewhere. being South Carolina that the, the chapter is about in case. Oh, of course, because the whole that. chapter is about South Carolina, yeah. baby. 76 of the 124 delegates were colored. As in Mississippi and elsewhere, a number of the planter class had early contemplated an effort to control the Negro vote and thus quickly get rid of military rule. On the other hand, the Negroes because of the educated free Negro element, some considerable talent among the slaves and the influx of Negroes from the North showed unusual foresight and modesty. The convention was earnest and on the whole, well-conducted of the 76 colored men. It is said that 57 had been slaves. The native whites felt and the correspondent of the New York times, the <laughs> good grief the native whites felt said the correspondent of the new york times yeah i would that think that, that would be a new york times line because they're ghoulish not a du bois line so let's make sure that we uh-huh. know that's a new york exactly. times quote that would call whites native mm-hmm. that the destinies of the state were safer in the hands of the unlettered ethiopians than in the hands of the whites of the body Whew, that's a whole thing. Beyond all question was the effusive comment of the Charleston Daily News. The best men in the convention are the colored members, considering the influences under which they were called together and their imperfect acquaintance with parliamentary law. They have displayed for the most part, remarkable moderation and dignity. They have assembled neither to pull wires like some nor to make money like others, but to legislate for the welfare of the race to which they belong. There were 27. So, uh, of course. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I'm sorry. There, there's some, uh, you know, infantilizing language like, oh, they were good boys. They they behaved like even better than the white people. I was very shocked at this, you know. But nonetheless, the point is even the New York Times and the Charleston Daily and these these, you know, newspapers that do not have these, you know, super anti-racist sympathies are commenting on like, yeah, I mean, the, the, the black people in the Congress are the ones conducting themselves professionally they had a focus they were not unruly it was just so obviously true and and it's a it, it's just a huge dig and push back on this narrative that they don't know how to govern themselves because that's a crock of shit yeah there were 27 southern white members of the convention some of them honest and earnest and some of them with questionable antecedents one of them had made up a purse to buy a cane for Brooks after he had assaulted Sumner. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So that uh, is, yeah, that is a reference to the caning of Sumner, which um, we we haven't really gotten to in this work yet. But for those of you not familiar with it, um, there is going to be a fight where Charles Sumner is caned literally with a, so beaten with a cane and it sounds like one of these people had made a GoFundMe essentially to buy a new cane for the guy that beat the shit out of Sumner so yeah, yeah this would be great. like like a GoFundMe for um, one of them spiteful like 
you know, the 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 new Rush Limbaugh wave, uh, the Trump follow ups that are in Congress now that are putting up, you know, um, transphobic signs and, and trying Marjorie to Taylor Greene. Yeah. And trying to and trying to um, carry guns in into Congress and stuff. This would be like someone like raising a GoFundMe for for more hateful signs and guns for them. Yep. <sighs> Another had assisted in hauling down the Union flag from Fort Sumner. Oh, good. A third had been a slave trader. Even better. Among the Northerners were colored and white men of education and character, as well as some adventurers. Mm. To the chagrin of many white onlookers, the convention was not a disorderly group. The delegates did not create the Negro Bedlam, which tradition has associated with them. President Mackey said that he had no unpleasant reminiscences of the of those acrimonious bickerings, which in all deliberative assemblies are often incidental to the excitement of debate and the attrition of antagonistic minds. There was no tendency to insult the white South and even deference was paid to the defeated Confederate soldiers. This was in striking contrast to the wild and unscrupulous attacks made by the press upon this convention. Some called the experiment the maddest, most unscrupulous and infamous revolution in history and said that it was snatching power from the hands of the race that settled the country and transferring it to former slaves, an ignorant and feeble race. (sighs) Don't like that. The representative of one paper was expelled from the floor for sneering at the ring-striped and streaked convention. Other papers received all possible courtesies. The real basis of opposition to the new regime was economic. Nothing showed this clearer than one fact, and that is that the chief and repeated accusations against the convention and succeeding legislatures was that they were composed of poor men, white and black. The white 47 delegates were said to have paid altogether $761 in annual taxes, of which one conservative paid 508 The total taxes paid by the 74 Negroes was $117, of which a Charleston Negro paid 85 23 of the whites and 59 of the colored paid no taxes whatsoever. In a day oh my God, how dare was, they not, not pay taxes? I know. And we're getting there. In a day where property was sacred, no matter how secured, and in a state where it had been politically supreme, this attitude was understandable. Yet one wonders just what was expected, since the great majority of the white people of the state had been kept in ignorance and poverty, and practically all of the Negroes were slaves whose education was a penal offense. One would hardly expect universal suffrage to put rich men in the legislature. It was a singularly to it was singularly to the credit of these voters that poverty was so well represented. It showed certain tendencies toward a dictatorship of the proletariat. The Taxpayers' Convention of 1871, frankly, proposed to restore the power of property by giving 60,000 taxpayers voting power equal to 90,000 non-taxpayers. David? They have to do their damn three-fifths compromise somehow. Mm -hmm. And and of course, as soon as you abolish slavery, and we see this later after the Civil Rights Movement, um, as soon as you take away like the, the Black Codes and, and Jim Crow, where it's explicitly illegal, t- essentially, to be black. Um, and, and, and again, these other things also happen the whole time. But the strategy is to address it through poverty, right? You make black people poorer than white people. You make the majority of black people poor, and then you attack poverty, which is already in your blood as as a liberal system. Um, 
What was the black man thinking and saying in these days? There was abundant evidence of clear and logical thought among his leaders. The South Carolina Negroes approached their new responsibilities with a due sense of difficulty and responsibility. Approach the new responsibilities with a due sense of difficulty and responsibility. Okay, that sentence is fine, but it's very redundant to voice. Um, Beverly Nash, a black ex-slave and member of the Constitutional Convention born in slavery. Now he's getting redundant again. Um, said, <laughs> I believe, my friends and fellow citizens, we are not prepared for the suffrage, but we can learn. Give a man tools and let him commence to use them, and in time he will learn a trade. So it is with voting. He may not understand it at the start, but in time he shall learn to do our do our duty. We recognize the Southern white man as the true friend of the black man. You see upon that banner the words, united we stand, divided we fall. And if you could see the scroll of the society that banner represents, you would see the white man and the black man standing with their arms locked together as the type of friendship and the union which we desire. It is not our desire to be a discordant element in the community or to unite the poor against the rich. That's disappointing. Uh, The white man... The white man has the land. The black man has the labor. The labor is worth nothing without capital. Okay, again, disagree there. Um, We must help create that capital by restoring confidence. And we can only secure confidence by electing proper men to fill our public offices. In these public affairs, we must unite with our white fellow citizens. They tell us that they have been disenfranchised, yet we tell the North that we shall never let the halls of Congress be silent until we remove that disability. Can we afford to lose from the councils of state our first men? Can we spare judges from the bench? Can we put fools or strangers in their positions? No, fellow citizens, no. Gloomy indeed would be that day. We want in charge of our interest only our best and ablest men. And then with a strong pull and a long pull and a pull together, up goes South Carolina. I obviously have, I, I mean, I, I voice some of them, but I obviously have some quips with, with some details in there. But again, you know, I mean, this is, this is the thing, right? You're going to be painted as these, uh, going to be painted as radicalism being wrong and ridiculous and heinous and evil and da, da, da. But then you're also going to be painted as radical on top of that, even if you're very, very moderate like these guys. There's no reason for that moderacy. We've, yeah. we've said that time and time again, because you're just going to get lied about and attacked anyway. Both Sumner yep. and Stephen had encouraged the Negroes of the South, Carolina. Uh, oh, sorry, hold on. <laughs> of South Carolina to seek sympathetic Southern whites as their leaders, but neither they nor others suggested any plans of union with white labor. White Carolina labor was dumb with absolutely no intelligent leadership except the planters and carpetbaggers. When the convention opened, Governor Orr was invited to address them. In his speech, he stressed the fact that the freedmen needed education and that they did not represent the intelligence nor wealth of the state, and he recommended limited suffrage, a homestead law, and education. Mm. Um, (laughs) The plight of debtors after the – I mean, education, good, you know, um, and homestead law has its very land-thefty history, but we're talking about it putting land in the hands of black people. So fine with that. The limited suffrage, you know, um, the plight of debtors after the losses and changes of war 
brought much debate in the Constitutional Convention. A white delegate advocated a three-month moratorium on debt collections, and a colored member supported the proposal. But Cardozo, a colored man, and later the treasurer of the state said, I'm opposed to the passage of this resolution. The convention should be certain of the constitutionality of their acts. The law of the United States does not allow a state to pass a law impairing the obligations of contracts. This, I think, is therefore a proper subject for the judiciary. I am heartily in favor of relief, but I wish the convention to have nothing to do with the matter. Now, apparently, Cardozo was laying the seeds of modern Democrats. Because, what the fuck? Um, (laughs) I want to do a thing, but I just don't believe that we have the power to do it. Looks around at all the power they have. Nope, no power to do it. It's important, but there's the sacrosanct thing that's arbitrarily sacrosanct, and so we must follow. Um, R.G. DeLarge, a colored delegate afterward land commissioner, said it has been said in opposition to this measure that the proposed legislation was for a certain class. However, no gentleman can rise and argue that the proposed measure is for the benefit of any specific class. I hold in my hands letters from almost every section of the state addressed to members of the convention crying out for relief. These letters depict in strong language the impoverished condition of the people and demand that something should be done to relieve them. I deny in toto that this is a piece of class legislation, and I believe nothing but the zeal of the members who spoke yesterday induced them to speak as it's such. It is simply the request to General Canby to relieve the necessities of a large part of the people of the state. Some members have gone farther and said it was a shame to keep the freedmen from becoming purchasers and owners of the land. I'm it just, has been argued I'm still, that the- ch- I'm still chuckling at I deny in toto, and I'm just imagining, hold the line! <laughs> Do, 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 just me just me just me thinking hold just the line you. references no <laughs> all right that's fine that's fine it's pretty good it's pretty good i'll take it uh anyway <laughs> it, it has been argued that the execution of the laws compelling the sale of the lands will benefit the poor man by affording him an opportunity to get possession of the lands that argument i am confident cannot be sustained if they are sold, they will be sold at public sale and sold in immense tracts, just as they are at present. <laughs> Huge tracts of land. You marry Princess Lucky. <laughs> All right. See? See, you're trying to do one. I know. I know. I know. It. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> hey, I, it was choppy. I didn't. I didn't. And I don't know Toto songs that well. It's <sighs> f- oh, come on. I, I didn't use the bad one. No, but that's the only one I know, I think. So <laughs> they will pass it. You uncultured swine. <laughs> they will pass into the hands of the merciless speculators who will never allow the poor man to get an inch without first drawing his life's blood in payment. The poor freedmen are the poorest of poor and unprepared to purchase lands. The poor whites are not in a condition to purchase lands. The facts are the poor class are clamoring and their voices have been voiced far beyond the limits of South Carolina. Away to the seat of government appealing for assistance and relief from actual starvation. And I feel like these are the most redundant sentences Du Bois has ever written (laughs) ever, ever, ever. Don't uh, give the man credit. He can write a more redundant sentence if he tried. The ex-slave who was born into slavery. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. All right. 393. The problem of the land came in for early consideration. 
the landless, it was felt, should be aided in the ac- acquirement of property and the landed aristocracy discriminated against. It was proposed that Congress be petitioned to lend the state $1 million to be used in the purchase of land for the colored people, that the legislature be required to appoint a land commission, and that homesteads up to a certain value be exempt from the levy of processes. One must view this action in the light of what had taken place with regard to land in South Carolina. When Northern forces captured Port Royal in November 1861... The federal authorities took over 195 plantations and employed over 10,000 former slaves in raising cotton. Early in 1862, they imposed labor superintendents from the North and organized the enterprise. In July 1862, Congress laid a direct tax on the land of the states in rebellion. When the absentee landholders of Port Royal failed to pay, their plantations were sold at public auction to satisfy a part of the debt of $363,000, which had been imposed upon South Carolina. Considerable other property, which was regarded as abandoned, was seized in Charleston. The lands that were auctioned off were bought largely by Northerners, although a few Negroes who had got a hold of a little money from their labor bought certain plantations. On January 16, 1868, General Sherman issued his celebrated Field Order No. 15. All the sea islands from Charleston to Port Royal and adjoining lands to a distance of 30 miles inland were set aside for use of the Negroes who had followed his army. We all remember this grand order when Sherman marched to the sea and then gave it all back to the the black man. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was not exactly what was taught in my history class, but we remember that from earlier in the book. It it was pretty, pretty cool little move there, Sherman. It was a pretty cool little move there, Sherman. (laughs) General Saxton executed this order and divided 485,000 acres of land among 40,000 Negroes. They were given, however, only possessory titles, and in the end, the government broke its implied promise and drove them off the land. We remember that part, too. In the convention, the whole matter of land for the Yeah, we do. In the convention, the whole matter of land for the landless came up for considerable debate. Cardozo said that he did not believe in the confiscation of property, but since slavery was gone, the plantation system must go with it. Whipper, another colored man who was more inclined to protect the interest of the planters and reminded the members that they were representatives of all classes in the community and not simply of a particular class. Oh, 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 that's a that's a that's a guy, Whipper. Mm. This debate on the economic situation was prolonged. All contracts and liabilities for the purchase of slaves where the money had not yet been paid were annulled. J.J. Wright, colored and later a state Supreme Court judge, said of this measure, I know it is said by our opponents that we are in an unlawful assembly and that we are on unconstitutional that we are an unconstitutional body. I know we are here under the laws of Congress, lawfully called together for the discharge of certain duties, and that the repudiation of debts contracted for slaves. It is the duty of the convention to do what? It is our duty to destroy all elements of the institution of slavery. If we do not, we recognize the right of property in a man. A homestead law to the value of $1,000 in real estate and $500 in personal property was passed. Rainey declared that Congress would probably never pass an act confiscating the land, but the other colored members, including Ran- Rainier, Ran- Rainier, Ranzier, wanted to petition Ran- Congress for a loan of a million dollars. Rancier? Rancier wanted to petition Congress for a loan of a million dollars to purchase land. A colored delegate said on this matter, 
My colleague presented a petition asking the Congress of the United States to appropriate $1 million for a specific purpose, to purchase homesteads for the people of South Carolina. Not the colored people, as the gentleman from Barnwell has attempted to prove, but all, irrespective of color. He has attempted to prove that the money cannot be obtained, but has failed to carry conviction to the minds of any of the members. There is plenty of land in the state that can be purchased for $2 an acre, and $1 million will buy us 500,000 acres. Cut this into small farms of 20 acres, and we have 25,000 farms. Averaging seven persons to a family, that 21 acres can sustain, and we have 175,000 persons, men, women, and children, who for a million dollars will be furnished means of support. That is one-fourth of the entire people of the state. Mr. R.C. Delarge, colored, continued on the same subject. There are over 1,000 freedmen in this state who, within the last year, purchased lands from the native whites on the same terms. We propose that the government should aid us in the purchase of more lands to be divided into small tracts and given on the above-mentioned credit to the homeless families to cultivate for their support. It is well known that in every district, the freedmen are roaming from one side to another, not because they expect to get land, but because the large landholders are not able to employ them and will not sell their lands unless the freedmen have the cash to pay for them. These are facts that cannot be contradicted by the gentleman from Barnwell. I know one large landholder in Cullerton District who had 21 freedmen working for him upon his plantation the entire year. He raised a good crop, but the laborers have not succeeded in getting any reimbursement for their labor. They are now roaming to Charleston and back, trying to get remuneration for their services. We propose to give them lands and to place them in a position by which they would be enabled to sustain themselves. In doing this, we will add to the depleted treasury of the state and by the large plantation system of the country will be broken up. The large plantation will be divided into small farms, giving support to more people and yielding more taxes to the state. It will bring out the whole resources of the state. I desire it to be distinctly understood that I do not advocate this measure simply for the benefit of my own race. Now, I just got to say a couple things I like. One black people getting wealth redistributed to them two homes going with homeless people three the fact that nathan had to sit there and read about land like it was you know cotton linen turned into coats turned into butt turned back into linen no 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 (laughs) no no After much discussion by various white members on the same subject, Mr. F.L. Cardozo, colored, voiced the thought of colored men who demanded that the government furnish land for the freedmen. The poor free... Wasn't this guy who was speaking against this earlier? So he got turned quick. That's good. (laughs) Um, the, The poor freedmen were induced by many congressmen even to expect confiscation. They held out the hope of confiscation. General Sherman did not confiscate gave the lands to the freedmen, and if it were not for President Johnson, they would have them now. The hopes of the freedmen had not been realized, and I do not think that asking for a loan of $1 million to be paid by a mortgage upon the land will be half as bad as has been supposed. I have been told by the assistant commissioner that he's been doing on a private scale what this petition proposes. I say every opportunity of helping the colored people should be seized upon. I agree there. Uh, I think the adoption of this measure should be seized upon. We should certainly vote for some measure of relief for the colored men, as we have to the white men who mortgage their property to perpetuate slavery and whom they have liberated from their bonds. 
Mr. W.J. Whipper, colored, was a more conservative and only wanted protection from immediate monopoly. And his quote, The present owners will be compelled before long to sell portions of their land and to sell them to freedmen or whoever can pay for them. But if sold now, they will be sold in large bodies or large tracts so that nobody but a capitalist will be able to buy. That's actually fairly solid analysis. Uh, this demand. Okay. I mean, okay. Okay. So he might be throwing it out in bad faith. I don't know. You know, he's colored, but he also didn't seem. I think he's throwing it out. I I fully think he's throwing it out in bad faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and nonetheless, the words themselves are, are reasonable, but that that's something you address not by not selling the land, but by ensuring the land goes into the hands of. But by of ensuring the, the land is people. bought by yeah. the government and 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 divvied out appropriately. Yes. Yeah. The demand for land was characterized as demagoguery by the property holders, but land was, as many speakers suggested, the economic means of raising the level of the electorate. Of course, the people who already own the land think redistributing the land is demagoguery. Um, (laughs) A petition was passed by a great majority asking Congress to appropriate funds for buying land. But Senator Wilson was replied that this was impractical and the convention thereupon created a state commission for buying lands and selling them to the freedmen. The convention attacked race discrimination squarely. A colored man, Dr. B.F. Randolph, offered the following amendment. Distinction on account of race or color in any case whatever shall be prohibited, and all classes of citizens, irrespective of race and color, shall enjoy all common, equal, and political privileges. He said it is doubtless the impression of the members of this convention that the Bill of Rights as it stands secures perfect political and legal equality to all the people of South Carolina. Very astute observation. Mm -hmm. It is a fact, however. Yeah. It's a fact, however, that nowhere is it laid down in the instrument emphatically and definitely that all the people of the state, irrespective of race and color, shall enjoy equal privileges. Our forefathers were no doubt anti-slavery men. Not sure about that. And they intended slavery should die out. Sure, fine, whatever. If you're speaking to people, why not? Consequently, the word color is not to be found in the Constitution or Declaration of Independence. On the contrary, it stated all men are created free and equal. In our Bill of Rights, I want to settle the question forever by making the meaning so plain that a wayfaring man, though a fool, cannot misunderstand it. The majority of the people of South Carolina who are rapidly becoming property holders are colored citizens, the descendants of the African race, who have been ground down by 300 years of degradation. And now that the opportunity is afforded, let them be protected by their political rights. The words proposed as an amendment were not calculated to create distinction, but to destroy distinction. And since the Bill of Rights did not declare equality, irrespective of race and color, it was important that they should be inserted. Thus, discriminations of race and color were abolished by the Constitution, and practical application was attempted in the case of the public schools and the militia. The convention framed the most liberal provisions for the right of suffrage that any southern constitutions provided. They did not attempt, as in Virginia, Alabama, and Mississippi, to restrict the voting rights for whites further than was provided by the Reconstruction Acts. Indeed, Whipper, a colored delegate, wished to petition Congress to remove all political disabilities from the white citizens. In this, Cordozo and Nash agreed, and the motion was passed. Of course, they made no distinction in race and color. The rights of women were enlarged. The property of married men could not be sold 
for their husband's debts, and for the first time in history, the state was given a divorce law. Education was discussed at length, and free common school system was voted for. It is sufficient to say that for the first time, the fundamental law of the state carried the obligation of universal education and demanded the creation of a school system like that of the northern states. Nothing that the convention did aroused more opposition among property-holding whites. In the first place, as a white man told the northern teacher, I do assure you that you might as well try to teach your horse or a mule to read as teach these black people. We're gonna, yeah, they, they did not use a kind word. Um, no, they didn't. In the second place, the whites calculated that the school system would cost $900,000 a year and that the new taxation would fall upon them. But, I mean, again, in, in observation here, right, how dare you – their big thing is how dare you give black people any rights and treat them like human beings, but also how dare you educate these people. They're swearing you waste your time, but if you're wasting your time – you'd find that out really quick. And then the black people wouldn't be smart enough to, to defend themselves. Like you're obviously worried about this because they can take the education and you're scared of that. Um, in the delegate on the school system, there was not a yeah, moment's this hesitation. Is, this is ridiculous. There was cons- yeah. Uh, but there was a considerable difference of opinion as to whether education should be made compulsory or not. RC DeLarge colored it, said in the debate, the schools may be open to all, but to declare that parents shall send their children to them, whether they are willing to or not, is, in my judgment, going a step beyond the bounds of prudence. Is there any logic or reason in inserting the Constitution a provision which cannot be enforced? Mr. Mr. A.J. Rancier, Rancier, colored, said... I am sorry to differ with my colleague from Charleston on this question. I contend that in proportion to the education of the people, so is their progress in civilization. Believing this, I believe that the committee has properly provided for the compulsory education of all children in this state between the ages named in that section. Mr. J.A. Chestnut Colored spoke on separation in schools. Has not this conversation the right to establish a free school system for the poorer classes? Then if there be a hostile disposition among the whites and unwillingness to send their children to school, the fault is their own, not ours. Look at the idle youth around us. Is the sight not enough to invigorate every man with a desire to do something to remove this vast weight of ignorance that presses the masses down? I have no desire to curtail the privileges of freedmen, but when we look at the opportunities neglected even by the whites of South Carolina, I must confess that I am more than ever disposed to compel parents, especially of my own race, to send their children to school. If the whites object to it, let it be so. Mr. F.L. Cardozo said, It was argued by some yesterday with some considerable weight that we should do everything in our power to incorporate in the Constitution all possible measures that will conciliate those opposed to us. No one would go further in conciliating others than I would, but we should be careful of what we do to conciliate. Man, he likes the word conciliate. He used it like three times in that sentence. Yes, he does. In the first place, he's (laughs) he's all about conciliation. I mean, he's just quoting people at this rate. It's not his fault. In the first place, there is an element that is opposed to us no matter what we do, which will never be conciliated. Oh, he's back at it again. It is not that they are opposed so much to the Constitution we may frame, but they are opposed to sitting in the convention. Their objection is of such a radical and fundamental nature that any attempt to frame a Constitution to please them would be abortive. 
If the, in the next place, there are those who are doubtful and gentlemen here say if we frame a constitution to suit these parties, they will come over to our side. They are only waiting to see whether or not it will be successful. Then there is a third class who honestly question our capacity to frame a constitution. I respect that class and believe if we do justice to them, laying our cornerstone on a sure foundation of Republican government and liberal principles, the intelligence of that class will be conciliated. Oh, he's back at it. And they are worthy of conciliation. Here we go. Before I proceed to discuss the question, I want to divest it of all false issue of the imaginary consequences that some gentlemen have illogically thought will result from the adoption of this section with the word compulsory. They affirm that it compels the attendance of both white and colored children in the same schools. There is nothing of the kind in the section. It simply says that all children shall be educated, but how it is left with the parents to decide. It is left to the parent to say whether the child should be sent to a public or private school. There can be separate schools for white and colored. It is left so that if any colored child wishes to go to a white school, it shall have the privilege of doing so. I have no doubt in most localities, colored people will prefer separate schools, particularly until some of the present prejudice against their race is removed. The committee proposed that persons coming of age after 1875 must be able to read and write before voting. But Cardozo opposed it because he said it would take more than 10 years and a great deal of money to complete the system, and he wanted to extend the time to 1890. Three other colored members spoke against any qualifications, and it was therefore stricken out. Thank you for those three other colored members. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. To bridge over the interval before the state school system could be installed, Mr. B.F. Randolph, colored, presented the following petition, which was referred to the Committee on Miscellaneous Provisions of the Constitution. We, the undersigned people of South Carolina... In convention assembled, do hereby recommend that the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands be continued until the restoration of civil authority, that then a Bureau of Education shall be established in order that an efficient system of schools be established. Perhaps the convention's achievement of greatest permanent importance was the reform of local and judicial administration. Judicial circuits were to be called counties, and some new counties were arranged. A court of probate was established in each county, and justices of the peace were given wider jurisdiction. Yes, David? I I have a historical question. Is this saying that counties were a new thing in America at this point? Because I'm not familiar Uh, with that being fact or fiction. That just how that sounded, and that seems... I have no opinion, but if this was the first time a county came into being in America, I wouldn't argue against it. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. We can Google it. (laughs) We could Google it. We could Google it. Judicial circuits were to be called counties, and some new counties were arranged. A court of probate was established in each new county, and justices of the peace were given wider jurisdiction. Judges were to be elected instead of appointed, and in spite of much criticism, the new system worked well. From 1870 to 1877, the Supreme Court was composed of a Negro, a Native Southerner, and a Northerner. Its administration was fair and its decisions just. Most of the circuit judges were Native whites and honest men. Mixed juries were the rule, and no fault was found with them. 
They do not hesitate to convict colored prisoners. The trial judges came in for the greatest criticism. Among them were numbers of ignorant and unqualified persons, and there was a good deal of misappropriation of fees and costs. On the other hand, it was difficult to get proper trial judges because so many qualified whites refused to serve. Wright, the Negro who was on the Supreme Court, was the first colored man admitted to the bar in Pennsylvania. He had been connected with the Freedmen's Bureau, then became a member of the Constitutional Convention and a state senator. He was elected to the bench in February 1870 to fill an unexpired term and was re-elected in December 1870 for the full term. He resigned under Hampton in August 1877. Although he lisped, Wright was a good speaker, decidedly intelligent, and generally said to be the best-fitted colored man in the state for the position. Some reforms were made in the county government. Most of the officers were to be elected by popular vote, and boards of commissioners were appointed for the highways and for collection of disbursement of taxes. David? Uh, before I go, just because just I did research it. So counties I started uh, – yeah, uh, counties – so in, in England, what they call counties or, or shires or – I think they're called shires because, I mean, that's – the way they say it when you talk about Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, like, I know when you name one, right? Like, like Worcestershire is actually a, a, a very hard to pronounce Shire in England. Yeah, um, everything in England's a Shire. A sure. Yeah, everything's, yeah, everything's a, a Shire. But it, and when you pronounce it out, like it's like Hamptonshire or something like that. Now the Camptonshire. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, those started in the United States in apparently 1610s and 1630s. And the word county originated in the United States from England, talking about the, the English counties to tie them back to the, the, the shires in 1707. So this was not new to the United States by a lot, which makes the language. Maybe here a it was weird, new to South Carolina. It, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it was new to South Carolina. You know, this is the thing we're trying to wrap our heads around <laughs> here. Just um, trying to get context. Yeah. Anyway, some of the delegates wanted to legislate concerning wages, which caused great indignation among the planters. It was suggested, for instance, that planters be required to pay back wages from the time of the issue of the Emancipation Proclamation and that the division of one half of the crop for tenant farmers be made compulsory. Such legislation was inherently just and reasonable, but 50 years too early for public opinion in any modern country. So, again, I mean, we talked about this with our taxes and stuff like that, right? This is the, yeah. the, the minimum wage talk coming, you know, the, again, everything that's a talking point of the modern Republican Party comes from the planters losing their status as planters after the Civil War from Reconstruction. It's it's it's. You know, I mean, again, and this is why the Southern strategy from Nixon through, you know, W. Bush was so popular and why after W. Bush, their first presidential candidate is Trump. You know, I say this, of course, as Democrats are already backing off the minimum wage because one party system called a two party system. But anyway, (laughs) um, among other things, the Constitution abolished imprisonment for debt and dueling. They abolished imprisonment for dueling. People. Oh, Sometimes no, you got a duel. Sometimes you got a duel. You know what? I bet they're saying they are abolishing dueling. That would make more sense. And did no, away with by it. And did away with property qualifications because apparently dueling has a property qualification. You <laughs> can't for duel for- if you don't own a house. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> it's just a rule. For voting or holding office, the colored members, despite their inexperience, gave evidence here and there of care and thrift. 
For instance, when the question of the pay of the members of the convention came up, a discussion arose. Mr. Ellis Langley moved that the pay per diem of $12 in bills receivable be laid on the table. J.J. Wright moved that $10 be inserted. N.G. Parker White moved to fix the pay at $11. C.P. Leslie colored demurred. I desire to pay a word before that resolution be passed and be put right on record. I am perfectly willing to receive $3 per day in greenbacks for my services. I think that sum all they were worth and further, and I got any more. If I got any more, it would be so much more than I have been in the habit of receiving. I might possibly go on a spree and lose the whole of it. <laughs> now, I ask any... Any of the money is not the same back then as it is today. Money is different. Yeah. Now I ask any of the delegates of this body, if it were called upon to pay a similar body of men out of their pockets, how much would they be willing to pay each member? I will stake my existence on it that they would not pay more than a dollar fifty per day to each member. What is this argument? It's coming out of their own pockets. Maybe they can't afford that. I believe. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. I want to be recorded as always being opposed to a high tariff, but not against any reasonable compensation. But this eight or nine dollars a day, when we consider all the surroundings and conditions of the people, looks too much like a fraud. Okay. So he's saying they're being overpaid there, to, to do the office work. There you okay, go. Th- it it sounds sense. more like I'm being asked to, you know, to do a look, public service, would, and we're we're living high off the hog. Yeah. Y'all pay people a dollar fifty a day to do work at your house, but if it, you're you're saying you demand twelve dollars a day, that seems a little incongruous to me. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's more fair. Okay. I was a little too harsh to to quick to judgment um gotta let dr the boys talk yeah okay we have learned that too many times too Um, many times the new constitution for south carolina was adopted by the convention in april 1868 it was eventually adopted by the people Seventy thousand voting for it twenty-seven thousand against it and thirty-five thousand abstaining that is still a landslide victory uh the constitution was written in good english and was an excellent document embodying some of the best legal principles of this age in a letter it was as good as any other constitution the state has ever had the most american states had at the time this assertion is supported by the practical endorsement which a subsequent generation of north carolinas gave it the conservative whites were content to live under it for 18 years after they recovered control of the state government and when in 1895 they met to make a new constitution, the document they produced had many of the features of the Constitution of 1868. It was not, of course, an original document, either in form or wording, but copied largely from the northern state models. But colored men discussed it, amended it, and voted for its adoption. They shared in the capacity and thought that had made it. A convention of whites held in Columbia April 2nd condemned the Constitution as the work of 60-odd Negroes, many of them ignorant and depraved, together with 50 white men, outcasts of Northern society, and Southern renegades, betrayers of their race and country. You know you know, they're speaking real racism when they're saying you betrayed your race for being white. Mm-hmm. Its franchise provisions were declared. Yeah, its franchise provisions were declared to be designed to further the ambitions of mean whites. Its judicial system repugnant to our customs and habits of thought. I guess because black people were allowed to serve on the. the I don't know. Uh, the judicial system. Oh, the homestead provision, a snare and deceit. The stupendous school arrangement, a fruitful source of peculent corruption. Here spoke capital, land, and privilege against white 
and black labor. How dare they have schools? In the spring of 1868, the Fairfield Herald declared revolution the maddest, most unscrupulous and infamous revolution in his history, which has snatched the power from the hands of the race which settled the country and transferred it to its former slaves, an ignorant and feeble race. Fuck you, Fairfield Herald. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you right and proper. Mm-hmm. Indeed, the criticism here was just as boundless and intemperate as that directed later towards the expenditures of the legislature. Only in this case, we have evidence of the Constitution itself to show how excellent the document uh, was. The economic revolution which Reconstruction involved overshadowed and guided all thought and action. Usury laws had been repealed by the planters in 1866, and rates of interest rose to 25 and 30%. Banks commonly charged from 18 to 24 percent. The owners of land and property, the persons of intelligence and social prestige, despite their partial impoverishment from the war, were strong and well organized. They put the whole blame on abolition of slavery, enfranchisement of labor, and refusal of black men to work under essentially the same conditions as formerly. But colored Congressman Rainey of South Carolina well said it in the 42nd Congress. If the country there is impoverished, it has certainly not been caused by the fault of those who love the Union, but is simply the result of a disastrous war madly raged against the best government known to the world. Calm down there a little bit, Randy. The murder of an unarmed (laughs) man and the maltreating of helpless women can never make restitution for the losses which are the simple, inevitable consequence of rebellion. The faithfulness of my race during the entire war in supporting and protecting the families of their masters speaks volumes in their behalf and to the real kindliness of their feelings toward the white people of the South. South Carolina property had been valued in 1860 at $489 million. All the capital and slaves was lost, but the remainder was $278 million. This shrank to $99 million in 1866. In 1870, the property of South Carolina was assessed at $183 million. Besides this, millions were lost in banks, stocks, endowments, and investments. One newspaper estimated that the gross property value shrank from $400 million in 1860 to $50 million in 1865. Of course, much of this was guesswork. The values of 1860 were inflated. The values of 1865 to 1870 perhaps were unduly depressed. The builders of the new state wanted to make taxes uniform and therefore provided for a revaluation of lands and improve and taxes uniform and therefore provided a for a revaluation of lands and improvements. A committee was ap- appointed to investigate the financial status and the new school system, which was expected to be the largest of item of expense, a splendid commentary upon the new spirit which had arisen in the state was guaranteed an annual levy on all property and a poll tax. The property holders wanted to limit state indebtedness and prevent the legislature from extending credit to private corporations, but these suggestions were not approved of. The convention had a vision of prosperity, and they wanted railroads, schools, and poorhouses and a distribution of land. In a progressive age, said Judge Wright, the legislature must do its part, and the responsibility of that body to the people was sufficient check against extravagance. 
A committee of property holders was alarmed and estimated that it would cost $2 million annually to run the state, but instead of 350000 which had sufficed before the war. This was true. But when later the expenditure of the state reached this sum, there were some people complained that the expenditure must on its face be fraudulent. Singularly enough, it is conveniently forgotten that a good proportion of the white officials of South Carolina during Reconstruction were not Northerners, but Southerners, and several of them had served in the Confederate Army. Moses, who became governor, Robertson, United States senator, and Nagel, comptroller and former Confederate officer, were Southern white men. Bowen, a congressman while born in the North, had lived in Georgia before the war and served as captain in the Confederate Army. Of white Northerners, Chamberlain, shrewd and able, but not over scrumptious, scrupulous, yeah, it's the same thing, was the leader. Yeah. yeah. Scrupulous, yeah. Uh, among the others was Scott, well-meaning but not a strong governor, the pliable Parker, inefficient state treasurer, and Patterson, who bribed his way to defeat a Negro of the United States Senate. <sighs> that being said, guys, we're done reading for this week. Yeah. That's a fun Yeah. It's a fun note to leave it on, but I keep kind of trying to read ahead a little bit, and there's not. it's not going to get any better. We're just reading no. about more people. That being said, this has been Mark's Madness, and we read books. Um, there are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us, um, first of which is at email. You can email us at marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. That's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Apologies if it takes a while to get back to you. Sometimes me and David are slow on that, but we promise we will get back to everybody that emails us. Um if you would like to reach out to us on Twitter, you can do so. We are at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. We sometimes tweet about the episode. Sometimes we don't. But, you know, that's that's our that's our problem, not yours. I don't you worry about it. We'll, we'll get the there. ball on that. My bad. <laughs> it's all fine. That being said, you can DM us. Our DMs are open. Um, let's say you wanted to have a more long-form conversation or you wanted to join a community um the the best thing i can recommend is joining the marks madness pod discord that is our community on discord we hang out we play final fantasy 14 we just talk sometimes we tweet pictures of alligators uh just amongst ourselves you know we we do what we want to do it's a free flowing community sort of thing um but yes please join the marks madness pod discord it's a good time and there are good people in there i promise um that being said, David, I do believe it is Disclaimer Week. Okay. Disclaimer Week. Wah. Okay. So anyway. Uh, disclaimer Week. Yeah. Uh, so this is obviously a podcast me and Nathan started because we were reading a book together. And when you read works of theory, you want to discuss it with people. And there were only two of us. And so we thought we can record it. We know how to throw up a podcast, whatever. And we did. And now we're here. And that's fantastic. We're sharing it with you. And from the beginning... The vision we had of that podcast is obviously, you know, you need to be out there in a party. You need to be organizing. You need to be doing on the ground work. People are in acute need uh, at at several 
places, several groups of people in moments like this. Uh, but people are always in need and we're always needing to organize. That's how we work towards that revolution. And so hopefully in that party, your political education group or reading group or whatever you want to call it is reading these works. And we can be another source of input. We can be just, you know, someone else in that discussion group for you that can bring more context, more, more input for you. Uh, save for that. Let's say they're reading something shorter or more applicable to the organizing they're doing. Uh, hopefully we can be your reading group if you're reading along with us. And, Outside of that, you know, whether it's a work we summarize and we can kind of be that, that summary with added context, or like this work we're reading word for word and we can be a context rich ebook, uh, whatever it is that can make these works more accessible to you, um, we just want to make sure that the theory gets out there and that you understand it and that you put it in praxis. And it's important to remember that when you put it in, in into practice called praxis, the actual theory and action, that's agitation, that's organizing people to self-sustaining, that's organizing people to spread education, um, that's you know creating a party in the, in the rare spots where there's a hole there and it's necessary, it's joining a party that does exist and doing the party work, uh, any of those things – that's theory in action. And without that praxis, theory is completely useless. And without theory, that praxis can be misguided and rudderless and put in a bad direction that doesn't really help anyone in the long run. They are tied at the hip, they go hand in hand, and they need each other. Amen, as always. And with that being said, this has been Mark's Madness. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.